0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of the Sheffield bass band, The 1000 Violins, because I recently spoke to their singer, John Wood, to find out more about life, love and poetry and all the other groovy stuff. Plus, they have got two new John Peel sessions that have come out on the Precious Recordings of London. The first one was recorded on the 25th of September, 1985, and the second one, the 2nd of December, 1986, available from all good record shops. And also, um, if you go to the Precious um, Recordings of London bandcamp page, you'll find out more information of how you can get hold of those two reissues. Um, so yes, this is the interview. So after several minutes of interest and casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years, the musical awakening. Anyway, over to you, John. I mean, I had a kind of
1: this, the same reawakening as yourself um, with exactly those same artists. Um, I'm not, you know, from some, something like five years of age, I was I was listening to these old... 78 records at the hand me downs from my aunts and stuff. And um I used to sing along to them, and uh, in particular, uh, Johnny Ray um and people like Joseph Locke as well, singers like that. And, uh, I, and I, I don't know, I think it's that even at that age, I was I beginning to feel the power of music and also hearing things on the radio. Like uh, as you know, as a as a real as a child, an infant, um, things like jumping jack, flash, uh, reach out, I'll be there, and absolutely had hot and cold shivers going through my body um, with it. And then I kind of, uh, as a child, you know, I, didn't, I just did all the usual child things, and then. One Thursday night, I remember uh, that um, I just casually flipped one of the three channels or something like that, um, that was back then. And yes, I happened upon Top of the Pops and saw Mark Boland T-Rex, doing Get It On. And again, was completely mesmerised. Um, the 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 cold, the hot and cold just went all down my spine and all the rest of it uh, I was absolutely transfixed and didn't quite know what on earth was happening to me it was like seismic sort of emotional responses um, and I just thought, oh wow uh, what was all that about and then come next Thursday I thought, oh I'm going to put that program on again and hopefully he'll be on again and he was and then i became hooked to top of the pot and then like most people um you know I was, it, it was just the whole world kind of opened up or this particular world opened up anyway with those those very same artists that you've just mentioned um that just took me I don't know, out of my the the, the old drum you know uh, existence of uh, of being a school child yes. in the West Midlands, you know. So
0: that was that was it. And were your parents at all musical? Did they? Use
1: no, that? no. I mean, the only bit of music in my—I think my grandmother could play the piano or a child, you know, and that was it. But uh, no, there was no no more musical. I mean, it was just as I said, it was literally singing along to those to those records and um um. And I just kind of stayed, obviously, with the music in just, you know, the music scene uh, as it was from that point, uh, from, you know the, the, you know, the 70s, the long period and through that, um, due to punk and uh, enjoyed that. And, you know, i not really old enough to, to engage with it fully, but um, and then um, I, you know, I had a tense I, I, had a, I had a guitar. I had a guitar, but I wasn't a very, a, I wasn't a natural guitarist at all. I need. I'm somebody who, who would have had to have had lessons to become a good guitarist. And you know, I wish I, I had have been, really for someone like to uh, one, I would have probably been a better songwriter, and two, I would probably continue to make, you know, be involved in music. But if I had have been an instrumentalist, yes. But um, again, it was like. Singing to along to my very poor guitar playing, and I kind of realized, well, actually, I'm I think I'm quite a good singer. My guitar playing is really awful, I can just strum chords. Um, and you know, I'm quite enjoying this, and I like you know, and thus I don't know. Um, I, I was doing some rec- recordings of attempts at songs myself with some people I knew in, in, in uh, you know, who had recording equipment and stuff, and um, you know, it was a, a bit of a revelation to me, um, and um, and I just, I suppose, just felt that music was such a big part of my life. You know, everything was about going to a concert and all the rest of it, and so um, I just, I suppose, I just wanted to do it, if you like, and. Um, I happened to see, I think it was an ad in Melody Maker from somebody who had um, wanted somebody to, to, had a student wanted someone to sing on some demos for them out in Shropshire Way. And um, I I don't know if he'd actually heard me or not, but I I went along anyway and recorded these songs for him. And, uh, uh, you know, that went well. I mean, um, I don't quite know what he had in mind at that point. I think he was just writing the songs, and we weren't living right next to each other. So that was, but they were actually friends of the, the owner of the studio uh, was actually a friend of uh, Colin uh, Gregory and Dave Warmsley. Right. Um, they, I think he'd been at So University with, with Colin uh jim murphy's name was and is hopefully and um they went along uh, to jim's studio and they heard the the recordings that i would made with him and they liked the sound i suppose uh, uh, and um and then they contacted me and asked me if i would be interested in doing some recordings with them um, nice. Which obviously is a, a a massive surprise to get, uh, you know, that phone call sort of thing. Yes, which, which was whatsoever. which
0: was a very which was a very similar story to Fleetwood Mac in in their kind of mid seventies <laughs> period, wasn't it? Where right. Mick Fleetwood and and uh, I don't know, probably John McVie were looking for a studio and they had a tape of uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And they thought, God, we love, you know, Lindsay's guitar playing, you know, perhaps Mm. we, you know, it was just by chance. And they said, yeah, let's get him in the band because he, you know, frankly, they were struggling with players and uh, getting, you know, problems with guitarists who are either going mad, finding God or sort of... um, having affairs with Mick's wife, so in a, in a way way you know, so it was like Lindsay said, yes, I'll do it, but only if Stevie comes along because she's my girlfriend. That would be a bit pro- problem with the relationship. Well, so, uh, yes, the, so it's a similar story. I like that.
1: Well, yes, without uh, without all the partners, of course. <laughs> uh, in total. um yeah, it, it was um, as you know, for the for the benefit of the people who, who were interested in the land and how it came to be. Yeah, I mean. The real authorities is probably Colin, which, as you know, he's a shy lad. Um, and um, it what they were the Page Boys. So for anyone who's really into you know one thousand and wants to you know discover the lineage of the band, they Colin and Dave were the Page Boys, and they put out at least one single, um, maybe two. I'm not sure. Um, and I think obviously the so. Colin, uh, as a main song, uh, songwriter, wanted to sort of do something a bit different, and uh, and you know, and form a band which was One Thousand Violins. Um, I think with a, a change of direction.
0: Yes. Um, so perfect. just so just going back, did you did you kind of leave school at 16 or had you also gone to university? No,
1: I didn't go to university at all until quite late in life, actually. Um no, I was very much uh, you know a kind of work experience, no hoper. Yes,
0: well, that that was the early 80s, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: and absolutely. You know, a lot of my time was spent uh, (laughs) wistfully roaming around, uh, you know, derelict lands in the West Midlands and, you know, yeah, yeah, contemplating, shall we say. Yeah. Well we
0: we had a lot to contemplate. Well, I mean mm-hmm. 79 Thatcher gets in so that's mm-hmm. kind of the mm-hmm. Thatcher decade coming up and then we mm-hmm. had the Falkland War. We had mm-hmm. you know I suppose the miners' strike a bit later. Then we had um Greenham Common so we all thought we were going to be nuked and then there was just mm-hmm. huge amounts of unemployment so. Out, yes. <laughs> so so it was a, it was kind of a period of grimness and and poverty really. So um there's a lot of bands that I've interviewed from that period you know did have the job Seekers enterprise allowance and being yeah goal, wasn't it there was there was a kind of a an indirect yes. grant from the government to yes <laughs>
1: well yes um you know i mean <clears throat> it was obviously quite typically of the time it was uh, for bands of, the, of that kind it, it was you know eking out an existence through signing on sometimes getting some payments coming in and that was it you know And that's the
0: way the band kind of was able to function, I suppose. Yes, that I don't know thirty six pound a week, dole money, and Mm. um, your house and benefit and council tax paid, so that was that was all good. But yeah, so what was your just going back slightly? What was your first gig you went to then? What was the first kind of time you went to a live concert? What myself yourself? Yes.
1: Okay, it was. um, It was. well, there was so. Firstly, there were, I can remember the ones I missed out on, which was very painful, obviously. Like, <laughs> you know, like Bowie and the Spiders and T Rex and things like that. I also missed out on the Sex Pistols as well because I couldn't get into Nightclubs He played in Wolverhampton. But my first concert was actually the Glitter Band, and at Wolverhampton Roll the Drone, who I still use um, music I still love to this day. And I think the glitter band made some great songs. Um, yeah, and they they it was just as they were launching as a solo act. Um, and uh, I was taken uh, because obviously I was a you know I was a a wee child and I had to go with an adult and taken to this roller drone to see and the glitter band turned their the van had broken down on the motorway. Yes they were in a transit van as well. Um, mm-hmm. Believe it or not, and um, yeah, so they—they—I they, remember them. They turned up late. They ran on stage, and there were all these uh, fantastic, glittery—you know—costumes and all the rest of it. And they got on stage, and the sound was searingly loud to my, you know, uh, my infant ears. Uh, I, I'd got the hood of my Parker coat <laughs> um, up to shield from the sound, and. Uh, You know, it was all quite, um, it was all quite overwhelming sort of sound and experience and, um, (laughs) excuse me, yes, but because um, they turned up late, well, I could only stay for about 20 minutes because we had to go and get the last bus home, Mm. but it was still nevertheless um, an experience that, um, you know, I was glad that I was... uh... Did they play rock and roll parts one and two? I can't remember, but would that I think they possibly did open up with the. I know it was a lot of drum bashing to start with, and all the saxophones, you know, went went for it and stuff like that. Um, but obviously, I was so young, and <laughs> it's just you know, it's just uh, just a vague, vague memory now.
0: Yes, well, I know. I was excited. I did an interview with one of the glitter band couple of years ago I think oh, they, yeah. they were they were such an important but you know band at that yeah. time weren't they that uh um, yeah. yes there you go that's that's life isn't it and I think the I think the drummer went on to have quite a good interesting career. Pete Fitz. Yeah
1: he went he's he played with um Denon, for example yeah, what, um, Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence. Lawrence is down. I know. And
0: I think he's, yeah, he did have an impressive CV. I don't know which member hmm. I spoke to actually. But anyway, he was, it was a nice yeah, chat. Was... So that was good. So then, sort of at the early 80s, we get to the po- punk, post punk, then 83, the year of the Smiths. I always think hmm. this is such a moment. So hmm. were you, when did you sort of become part? When did 1000 Violins begin from Page Boy? Was that just a sort of a. It, it was.
1: I think it was eighty four. Yeah, it was. It would be eighty four. And they, uh, Colin and Dave, were wanting to record this single um, pretty imminently um, because, uh, as you know, they were had had contacts with Dan Tracy, who was running Dream World, the label Dream World. Um he he's was putting it out. They had a publishing deal with FIRE, which they weren't very happy with, I, I recall. But um and um so yeah, it was like it was literally actually, it wasn't just um we like you know you singing and stuff, it was like, like would you like to make a record? And as somebody as you can imagine uh, you know, with living in stuck in Wolverhampton and uh you know um it was like wow that, yes i would um and i did obviously like what they had done i mean uh, I, the, there wasn't the technology then to obviously send me uh anything uh i don't i can't even remember where they sent me a cassette but uh, i literally went down to the you know the recording studio where they were and you know that would have been the first time I I sang the the, the song uh, Halcyon Days and uh, yeah we did some demos that's it at Jim's studio uh, so it would have been the first time I I was given you know there's the lyrics and there's some music and you know let's let's see how it goes um, yes yeah. and we want to make a, a, a record you know so that we we're doing these demos and. Um,
0: So you hadn't at that stage. At that stage, you hadn't played live with them. No, I've
1: never had. I've never played live. Uh, I haven't. The only recording I've done, I say, was at friends' uh, you know house. Really, I've never had uh, a proper recording session.
0: Yes, amazing. Because that single, you know, obviously you hit it quite high, don't you? In that sense of, um, it is a kind of indie classic. I mean, again, the production value at that time was was brilliant. I mean, it's it sounds so good, and your vocal is so clear. So, did you? Yeah.
1: Well, the actual recording of uh, Halcyon Days was um, was recorded overnight on a you know the Twilight cheap uh, recording sessions with a guy called Pascal Gabriel. You Gabriel, I, I think a Belgian. Uh, producer he was then unknown and I think he went on to be quite successful during the uh, early 90s with a lot of um, you know that kind of his productions I think he might be been part of the you know the whole house or techno I don't know but I know he had quite a good career after after that (laughs) despite the the fact yes
0: yes Um, and did you get the chance to meet the famous Dan Tracy
1: well, of course. I mean, we, we were, you know, um Dan would um allow us to very kindly stay at his place when we were playing in London, you know, so we uh, uh, we would we were often uh, at his flat, yes. um you know, um trying to not to make a nuisance of ourselves as best we could. Uh, and I suppose it was his, you know, generosity that allowed us to, you know, to play in London um, so often, because. Um, Oh, you know, or we could use that as a base sometimes for playing a few concerts around that that area. The south, yes. you know. And
0: did you and did you play the living room, Alan McGee's kind of little club down? Um... Oh, I, I
1: honestly can't remember. It's, it's quite possible. Um, I mean, we were we were playing all that that scene, the the chalk farm. It, all that, Not the not the big roundhouse. There was there was a pub in Short Farm, yes. I forget now.
0: The George uh, Roby or something like that.
1: Yeah. And then Dan Tracy had his own Saturday night club in London as well, which I think is in North London. Um Islington. Yes. I'm not sure. Well, I forget the name of it now. What yes. what he called it, but um
0: so when you were when you were on his well, label, God. which had gone from Wham with I think two A's to mm. Dream World, did, was it kind of a, just a one record deal, or were you? Well, of course, there
1: was no contracts. Um, it was all, you know, it was all a gentlemanly agreement uh, with, the, with the label, you know, and again, there was no management, so there were no contracts at all. Um, it was just not professional, I suppose, but there might be some, you know, benefits to that. And um, yes. obviously there might not be um, so, so, some so
0: benefits this, to that as well. Yeah, so tricky business. Um, so this is is this 84, 85 time mm. you, you're in the band? And then you get from there, is it your John Peel session quite quickly or do you release another single at this stage? Because um, your first um, Peel session was, I think, September '85, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Um, no, I'm sure that the the, the John Peel session came after the release of Halcyon Days*, um, the first one, um, when when obviously we still didn't have a a, a drummer, we were still using a drum machine. Yes. Um, as can be heard on the session. Um well we we were we were playing concerts with the drum machine for certainly the, the first year I'd say. And um I think at first it was, it might have been, oh well, let's not bother with the drummer on Colin and Dave's part, forgive me Colin Dave. Uh, I think that was the case. But uh, yeah. uh, but um but there was obviously trying to find that you know that a person to who would work out with. Um and um, yeah, he, he worked okay. I mean, he obviously takes a certain or doesn't give you that kind of energy on stage having a drum machine, uh, not in a, not in a small venue, I suppose it's different if you're at pech mode or something even in an arena. Um, but uh, so, um, but I don't know. I mean, it worked okay in those earlier songs because there was a certain amount of delicacy, I think, to the overall sound and, uh, you know, uh, melodicism that was going on in the earlier songs. Um, It's interesting because I listened to uh, uh, one of my favourite songs from that period uh, earlier today, which is the first pictures of you by the Lotus Eater. And um, I thought, well, actually, and then I heard a song uh, on YouTube. I saw a song on YouTube by One Thousand Violins called uh, "My Beautiful Shirt," and I thought, oh, well, well, actually, you know, I think that the early One Thousand Violins was very much in sort of the the, the uh, Lightning Seeds uh, and uh, you know and um, Lotus Eaters kind of uh, vein, if you like, and. Uh, um, in terms yes. of the sense the songwriting sensibility and the mood of it, and all the rest of it, and uh, you know, the, the vocal melody, line. Um,
0: well, um, with the Lotus Eaters, that was um, is it Peter Coyne was the yes. singer, but the band is yes. the Wild Swans, who was oh, one. yes, they were a that was fantastic. That, that was kind of Paul Simpson, and the yeah, Paul of Simpson a, is.
1: Great singer well, and we, one, I mean, yeah, hearing that song, The uh, Revolutionary Spirit, which I have in my collection, um, I think that was one of the, you know, epoch kind of sounds uh, for me uh, early on as well, before, uh, you know, I, I, just before yeah. I, I joined 1000 Vanias. Because I was very much into, you know, all the Echo and the Bunny Men and, you know, all this sort of post punk thing I, I liked very much.
0: Basically, any, um, but anything? again,
1: uh, as it came out later on, and uh, my, my musical sort of interest is and is is, is, is quite broad, I and mean, it always has been. It's broader now than it's ever been. But uh, remember, I grew up on listening to great songs of the '60s and great singers of the '60s, and I do remember hearing things like "The Walking Dead" as long as I as a child. Um, you know, and um, and and the the Bert Bacharach songs and and stuff like that and uh, you know the love affair bands like that and the, um I know that there were that impressed me if you like with with the, by the singing as as well as the um you know the overall sound I mean if you couldn't sing it it's not worth it kind of yes. Yeah. You know, because um, like,
0: I know David Bowie was very influenced at times by Anthony Newley, so yeah, kind of, of course, that yes. very strong delivery, it's not yeah. kind of mumbled, is it? It's it's yeah, and you know, yes. Scott Walker,
1: and uh, well, this is it. I mean, a lot of people say, Oh, you sound a bit like Ludwig Cole, I get that quite a lot, and um, and I say, uh, or, or or Mark Armand sometimes, and I say, Well. Yeah, I think what it is, is we're all influenced by <laughs> Scott Walker and uh, mainly, you know, uh, we, it, which is undoubtedly the case with Bowie and Mark Holman, we're all, you know, incredibly um, influenced by Scott Walker. But your, um, would you
0: say that's because of your vocal technique? Because a lot of Well, singers... it might
1: just be a happy, uh, you know, accident that... Uh, I suppose I'm, I'm you know, the old-fashioned kind of croon style I, mean, I don't know what came first, really, you know. I mean, as I said, I, I was listening to music like that from an extremely early age. And, it, you know, it deeply impressed me um, and moved me. And so perhaps I just learned to sing that way. I don't know. And and, and it, it happened that I was able to Kind of fit into that mode of singing, if you like, and I, I you know, the vocal cords allowed it, uh, enabled it, if you like. Um, and that's again, um, sometimes I, I you know, when I look, I'm looking at one thousand violins, I do think, and as I've commented, um, that, um, you know, if I think my, my singing style would definitely lends itself more to the '60s, you know. Um, it's, and um, I'm not—I'm just not a shouty vocalist in some You know, as a partner, I would love to be. And yes. um, I—I love kind of Iggy pop and all that and uh, punk, but it's just not me, you know. It's yeah. just not—it's not my voice, and uh, you know, so. Um, you know what i there's no affectation whatsoever in in you know my the way i seemed and i as sang one thousand and you know it's just um
0: so what's your what's your then memory of the the bbc the first john Peel session because this is 85 yeah. well,
1: yeah, as, as most people will appreciate i mean you know the respect to the uh, the john Peel show and Listening, I was obviously an avid listener at the time, like most people who were serious about music were. Um, so yes, I mean, you know, it, it obviously it's it was a, a magnificent um, thing to happen in, in in any respects. I mean, you know, to to be doing the, the John Peel sessions and going to Vale, which you heard about such a lot i know um and um i mean it, it was it was kind of s- strange because the session uh, both of these sessions uh, were recorded by uh, produced by the, um Dale griffin
0: from um, what the hoopole fame from,
1: yeah buffin from Mott. Uh and obviously i grew up with uh, Mott being uh, you know big heroes of mine um, and I still love them to this day. And so, but there was, uh, you know, um, you know, Buffy now, he's just 10 years on. I was more than it was 10 years on. He's just, you know, a, a guy now and he wasn't the rock and roll star when I was a kid, you know, that, you know, I, I sort of was conscious of as a child because I looked at these, these people on top of the pops those kind of stars um and they were like for me otherworldly i mean it was uh, it's like you you lost your rational side it was hard to believe that they were just human
0: (laughs) yes no they weren't they weren't human they were superstars absolutely
1: (laughs) um that's right because you know the presence and and the world that those songs were creating and, and projecting is just you know, it was extraordinary. It was. It wasn't. It was beyond our everyday experience, and um, and I think, you know, that's that's why it allowed it to have its impact. And um, obviously, things became a lot more mundane <laughs> over time. They didn't, book music, and mm. I think obviously that. Um, you know, there was a certain within that kind of C eighty six thing. It was, it was the opposite. It was drab. It, you know, there was this element of being drab and uh, not unglam and stuff like that, um, which you know is is understandable, I suppose, given the kind of social context of it at the time. Um, but again, you know, for me, I suppose there was some kind of a little bit of well, this isn't, you know. Um, quite um, top of the pops and I'm not in a glitter suit am I you know so is this the real thing kind of thing you know um, but um, you know without, without doubt um, that I um, you know I identified with the music um, I liked very much the, the songs that I was uh, you know uh, um, allowed to, to sing mm-hmm. and um
0: so when you, you when know, you I was... gave it
1: my all. I absolutely gave it my all, and um, you know, as uh, in terms of you know making the song and trying to go with the song, kind of thing, and and do my best on on a recording, you know. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I was I had very little sort of um, confidence uh, at the time. <laughs> Not that I extremely dude to this day, but I mean, you know, uh, as I said, um you know, I didn't fully see myself as um you you pinch you know, I don't know if it's like pinching myself a little bit sometimes or is this really happening, you know, going on to the John Peel thing, but um you obviously you know to get in the van and uh, play the the gigs and stuff like that was a dream really i mean you know when i as a child and what else would i have wanted to do so um in that respect you know it, it, there was a lot of um you know accomplishment and enjoyment uh, and and excitement even if you were sometimes turning up at a pub out in i don't know the home counties and at some point playing to 20 people, you know, that might um But nevertheless, you know, it was still nice to be in the back of the van.
0: Yes. Or be and a that, uh, of uh, uh,
1: biscuits.
0: And at that age and time of year or time mm, of life.
1: Exactly, yeah. So I was kind of, it was, I was living the little dream.
0: The little dream, the big dream. I don't know, you're just living the dream. So with your John, the John Peel session, you did... Yes. I mean, the songs sound amazing. Why Why is it always, is it always December yeah the candleman, mm-hmm. though it poured the next day, I never noticed the rain. and then the sun ain't going to shine anymore. Mm-hmm. Who came up with the set list for those for that particular? Oh, song? I mean,
1: well Colin, um Gregory, you know, um was is the main songwriter of bon Valley Valley. So it was all directed by him. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of the set, you know, what was going to be recorded and all the rest of it and, we're, and what we were, were ready to do. was um, Colin's decision to do The Sun and to Shine anymore. I think probably he wanted to, um, you know, place the, the music of One Thousand of Violins or reference that kind of 60s pop um Heritage, if you like, and, and or, or to, to flag up the um, you know uh, the the reference, if you like, and where 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 we're kind of coming from, um, and um, you know, which is fair enough. Um, you know, I think. It's, some of that, some of those uh, songs, they they have the you know a great kind of sixties pop feel to them. I mean, but the thing is, they 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 haven't got that arrangement to them. They've got C eighty six guitars in them, um, but you can hear you know uh, nice bird background kind of choruses at times, and you know. Yes. Uh, but
0: look, but no. I was also looking at you know quite a few of your flyers or posters for gigs so you were sort of playing and and supporting and sometimes headlining some amazing evenings with people like you know my bloody Bloody valentine micro disney people like that so yeah did you feel like you were sort of on a on a sort of mission it's like the blues brothers really isn't it were you Um, did you feel you were on some sort of trip at this stage
1: um well Obviously, we, we we were kind of in it and not in it, to be honest with you. And that's how it felt. I mean, we were obviously playing, you know, on the, that scene with all those names, but uh, we seemed to be a bit more not a part of the scene. I and mean, it wasn't a deliberate thing. Um, I don't know. I, I maybe it was just how I felt, but um, if. And when you think about it, I mean, people, obviously, like archetypal bands like Tulula Gotch, for example, at the time, and they used to allow us to stay with them as well, very kindly. Um, and
0: uh, so,
1: yes, we obviously were, yes. but we, there wasn't a lot of, what I'm saying is there wasn't any, um, we weren't really rubbing Along together, if you know what I mean, there was no kind of hanging out. This is what I'm saying there was no hanging out together, none of that. Though we weren't, we weren't sort of hanging around that scene. I mean, we were based in Sheffield anyway, so but um, no, we we were kind of um, a little bit excommunicated.
0: Yeah, it's just sometimes laughing at some of the. Well, not literally laughing, but just smiling at the idea that you know there was a night with you, the shop assistants, and the soup dragons were too. yeah. Pounds. And uh, that's that, that
1: I crazy. remember supporting the Lars, um, in Camden, um, Panic Station Camden, which for me, you know, was, was exciting because I, I like that band. And the highlight for me, another highlight was when we supported. The Triffids uh, at Sheffield Leadmill,
0: um, and demotion. we still had the
1: drum machine at that point. Um, yeah. I remember walking into the toilets, and there was uh, the late great David McComb, and he was having a shave in the in the watch basin in the toilets. Poor poor man. Um, and um, it was for always- me that was a highlight. Because you know that was a band that I kind of looked up to and revered and oh to be playing with these guys, which is really exciting, you know? So um yeah, you know we were contemporaries, I suppose, but, um yeah. obviously.
0: So what what then happens? That's 85, 86. This is the height of indie pop now, mm. let's face it. 86, 87 things are mm you know freaking out with excitement uh, at that stage i mean you've still got another john peel session does the and the band have um, you're going to release an album as well aren't you a kind of mini album please don't sound blast yeah well that House.
1: mini album what um that was actually it uh, came out on the constrictor label and uh, as pe- people might have been observed to be you have original copies um that some of the titles were given um were retitled to get round at the difficulties I think with uh, that uh, they had with Fire Publishing. It was trying to evade um, them. So "Housing uh, Days became, what was it, Days of Calm Weather or something? Right. Was. Days of Calm Weather in Winter. It was retitled for the album and Lost to the World. Um, I think that was The Candleman, you know. Um, and uh, they were actually good recordings, I think.
0: Yeah. Yes. So and they they,
1: uh, they ended up on that on a one thousand violins compilation.
0: Um, was that the but, one that came out on vinyl Japan or Cherry Red? It, it was on Cherry Red, wasn't it? And I think there was a vinyl Japan
1: one, which I didn't even I wasn't even aware of it was coming out at the time. The vinyl Japan one, but uh, they definitely all those versions are on the uh, Cherry Red. A compilation.
0: Yeah. Yes. Exciting stuff. So your next John Peel session, which was like crikey. Yeah, we had a drummer
1: by this time.
0: You had you had. Was it Ian who came in on drums at that stage? No, it was
1: uh, it was Pete Addy who was playing. Oh,
0: Pete. Sorry, yes. Our, our
1: drums. Who was a friend of uh, Colin and Dave's? I think uh, from Yorkshire, Halifax. Um, he was a friend of theirs. He was at university at the time. And uh, so, you know, um, he'd just come down for rehearsals in Sheffield and um, play the gigs. Um, obviously, that that became a bit of a strain, I think, as the band became a bit more in demand in, in terms of pizza availability. Yes. Um, and so, so they- uh, you know, it was uh, basically, I think... Uh, you know, that was this, that was behind the decision to try to look for another drummer who was perhaps more available. Yes. You know?
0: So what was it like on the, when you were recording Hey Man, That's Beautiful, this yeah. is on Immaculate. Before then you had Locked Out. Of Locked Lu- Out of the
1: Loving, yeah, that was on Dream World, yeah, which is a great single, again, with a great chorus. Um um, well, you know, when I hear that again, I'm quite taken aback by how good it is. Quite simply, um, you know,
0: yeah, yes, that's amazing. Were you at the? How was the band coping then? Because you'd had sort of almost three, four years of indie. Yeah, well, this
1: is it. I mean, uh, we, there. Were, this is really probably what held the band back. It was that there wasn't. Um, any what any management or anybody really move in the band and, and the way the music industry worked back then you had to have you know either a good publisher and manager or some sort of publicist even you know on the independent scene to, I I do think that um you know I mean labels want you wanted a man would want you to have a manager before they I mean, certainly large labels who have the clouds to get yeah. you, uh, to promote you and get you into the charts. And, and we're talking the real chart, uh, the big one, rather than the indie chart. Um, and um, the reason why I think that is, you know, a salient point we want, we're discussing with violence is because I think that, the well, it's my view that there was the potential there, uh, you know, to, to have reached a larger audience in, in terms of the the songs, um, and you know, the the presentation would have needed needed to have changed a little bit. I think, but um, you know, I mean, uh, you get, you know, that I think. You've got that song right though. That, that song right in, we, we, we would have been a great singles band in, in the, the charts. We, um, I mean, it was observed by I think a few a few reviewers in the music press at the time that you know we're, we're a good singles band, I think, or one of the best undiscovered singles band. I think somebody even said, I might have quoted it on the um, the sleep notes to the second uh, John Peel's session, which is to be released, yes. Um, but obviously, the, there was the potential there, but you would have needed um, somebody to, you know, moved it along a bit more in, 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 in the way that it had to, to make it more of a, a commercially viable uh, proposition. Yes.
0: Uh, but...
1: Because I think in music it was very accessible. Um, you know, you can sing along <laughs> to it, Um to those songs, um, so I think, yeah, they they, they had a, there was a lot of potential there, which probably wasn't uh, really, uh, you know, made the most of.
0: Yes, well, I think, I suppose, looking back, you can see why certain bands like you two were probably, have, yeah, were raised a focus. They had the management, yeah. they had that drive, and um, yeah, they yeah. put the time in. But the second John Peel session has a great song on it. If I were a bullet. Then oh. I'd find a place to your yes. heart. I mean, when you were presented the lyrics, did you mm. did they, did they always did, were they always very easy to sing and and you kind of thought, yep, that's another classic.
1: Yeah, there was nothing that I ever felt uncomfortable with in any way, really. Um, you know. Um, I think sometimes had to get a little bit tongue in cheek with the baby kind of thing, but um, but the sentiment of the songs was was always something that I would um, that I was always able to sort of go along with, really. Um, You know, if I were a bullet, (laughs) yeah. Um, I
0: mean,
1: yeah, I know. I always I do kind of when I listen back. Actually, I think I relate. More strongly now to, to, to those words than maybe I was conscious of at the time, um, but um, they, they they certainly kind of were not really outside my my uh, lived experience. Let's put it like that. In fact, you know, they were probably quite attuned to it in some yeah. respects.
0: So what was your last kind of studio recording with the band?
1: Well, the last recordings I made with 1000 violins, as, as people will know is that was late uh, towards it was about the autumn of eighty seven. Um, and um you know the um which was when the um guy called Nigel Revler, um who'd been in Gentle Giants and um it's phil o'connor who is hazel who is hazel's brother um they had a kind of production and then wanted to do a label i think right and they'd obviously been watching one thousand violins come to the you know the 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 gigs and stuff and and liking i mean we 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 had we had become much better than obviously when when we started out in 85 with the drum machine uh, you know, we moved we very good live and had a lot of energy live. And um, you know, the, I think they saw the potential there. Um, but you know, it, it was still a pretty small time really. Um and um so it was with a view to signing up the bands for a recording contract, um, and Colin Dave with the publishing deal. Um and, um, but I, I, did, I did the single. I mean, I was coming to the end of things with the band, and I, and, you know, I announced that I was discontented in '87 and not entirely blaming anybody for it. Um, you know, I'd done four years with the band, um, and, uh, I just, reached a point I think when I'm beginning to just feel a little bit more frustrated with it I wanted to be I think more take more of a creative you know just be able to explore more creatively with something yeah um so, and, and uh that was moving me towards just you know wanting to leave it, it was never really gonna uh, you know he was asking a commitment I wasn't really signing the contract I wasn't really wanting to to make anymore um and um so I did I don't know I did the one single with them and um it was kind of and and that feeling didn't go away really um but you know um great it was a great last single <laughs>
0: So what was I that label? You, what was the label? You... It
1: was, um, oh, Immaculate Records. Right, um, was the label. What um, was that? Um, all aboard the love, love. No, music? that that was after me. Uh, they 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 released the album, didn't they? One thousand Brothers, uh with Vince, who came after me as the singer. That was the the name of their their album, title of their album, on the board, the Love Mobile. That wasn't the song that was around when I was in the band. There are um, some songs I think on the Janice Long, which session, which was the last session that I recorded uh, for with One Thousand Violins and and Radio One shows, uh, which is Janice Long session, which I think he's. Kind of tends to get overlooked, and I think it was a very good session. I recall that would be, uh, you know, when Ian was playing on the drums by that point. Um, and uh, I hope one day that might get a bit more attention and you might see the light of day. I don't, I'm not even sure that one's on YouTube. Um, maybe someone's got it somewhere,
0: yeah.
1: Um, I'm sure it's obtainable, but I think it's a good session. But yeah, there are there are some songs on there which might I sang for the, John, the Janice Long session, which may have turned up on the on board the Love album, which Vince went on to sing. But there might be a couple I don't know.
0: Right. So, so the guy from, do you say was it Nigel from Gentle Giant? Did you see? Yeah,
1: Nigel Revler, who had been in the band Gentle Giant, and. Phil O'Connor, Hazel O'Connor's brother, who was actually in quite a good band called The Flies. Oh. Late 70s band called The Flies. Yeah. So I was aware of him uh, when um, we, you know, we did that session. You know, they were were nice guys. I mean, obviously, they didn't really want me to leave, but, you know... um,
0: Yes, it's always difficult, you know, so that that was the end. Did it feel Mm. strange when you sort of found somebody else stepping into your kind of shoes and Um, on the mic, or did you just kind of avoid?
1: Well, I didn't really take a a great deal of interest, to be honest with you. I was not following, you know, what what 1000 Wildings were doing um, after I left. Um, The other kind of strange thing was that they 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 played in uh, in Manchester when I you know, and I was living in Manchester by that time. and that was kind of strange because, oh, they're playing, in, you know tonight, but I'm not there. I mean, you know, I, I I enjoyed the the live performance very much. and um so, you know, there was uh, it wasn't an easy decision for me whatsoever i mean you know there was a, it was, there was a you know a certain sadness of having to to let go because i had enjoyed uh performing those songs you know um it was just you know i don't know it's just a a, a, a great sort of um opportunity to sort of sing you know um, which you know, so uh, there was, and it wasn't because, again, I, I suddenly didn't like those songs, you know, because that wasn't the case. I um continued to like the songs. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about maybe some of the later ones, but, I, what, but, but I'm just going by the titles. So, yes. I mean, and that's not always uh, the best indication, um, you know.
0: Yeah. Um and that was that was you with the 1000 violins did you um have you had any communication with the, any of the members kind of um, in or with this release with these releases well I've, I've
1: actually heard from colin um which is very nice and it's good to know that everything's good with him and stuff like that and things have worked out well for him etc um so yes i have um and that's not been unwelcome. Um uh, I, I'm not in contact with any anyone. Um and it's there's no from my point of view, there's never any uh, dislike, personal dislike of anybody. Um, you know, that's not the reason why I, I wanted to eventually leave the band. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as it was literally, I had to move on. I mean, I, I was in contact with um, a, a guy who was living in London. He moved out from France, uh, and he was looking for someone to sing and, and and write songs with. And he wanted to, you know, move away from London, and so he needed somebody, I suppose, to make it more of a commitment to that as well. Um, so it wouldn't have been that practical. I, you know, from I couldn't have done the two, um. So something I had to give, and I suppose I just thought, well, it's been four years, and I, you know, I think I've probably done what I can with the band, and
0: and and, yeah. you know,
1: and it's done what it can for me, and that's that's probably it, really.
0: Um, yeah. which you is, know, which is, but which I can is. still sing those songs and do ring and. Excellent. Was, yeah. So, did, did, you know,
1: did you... and uh, they still play around in my my head?
0: I'm not surprised, especially recently. But what did you do any other musical projects after? Well, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I so the the, my, the guy who I met through Melody Maker and um, a guy called Eve Altana, and we moved up to Manchester, and we were just, it was just the need to relocate because I hadn't really got a place to call home, and I don't think he had much either. So we were just moving, to moved up to Manchester because it was only going to be Manchester or Liverpool, and and I think Manchester just seemed a bit more familiar, and um, probably because of Coronation Street. But uh, um, so, you know, we decided to move up here, um, and... um, you know, which I don't regret whatsoever, because it was, for me, a very good move, which allowed me, I think, to have a bit of a life and to become a bit more of an adult, which I probably certainly was not when I was in 1000 Islands. I think. I was somebody who's, you know, very, very, um, had very little experience of of life, really. Life was something that happened for other people, not to to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so um, it, it, it's, it's allowed me to grow. And this is the, str- the strange thing, again, you know, about uh, the top the time in 1000 of Lines, because people might have thought, um, and I read some of the clippings as well, which suggest, oh, this is a band that's got such potential and all the rest of it. Oh, well, you know, the vast majority of the press was great potential, you know, and all the rest of it. And, and often... A, a rather good singer. Yes. <laughs> um, and yet this had absolutely no impact upon my self-confidence whatsoever as a person. And I and and, and this is there's no again no affectation here that I was just very, very you know introverted kind of totally lacking in self-confidence. Um, you know certainly not able to assert myself in any way um spent a lot of my time not entirely happy um and um well you know that's maybe what you can hear sometimes in 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 the singing um but yeah you know the irony is because uh, a lot of people might have said, Oh, you know, at that time when you were a young guy, wow, you know you're on stage and you know you sing and stuff like this, and uh and yet it, it didn't change me. it didn't really change my life. um maybe I was expecting too much, I don't know
0: mm.
1: um but um you know there there was uh, there was no sex. If only there wasn't no drugs. Well, not for me anyway, boys. And, you know, so that there was just the rock and roll, which was not a bad thing. No. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, there was... I didn't uh, I didn't uh, play any of that for what, you know, a lot of people would have paid it for. You know? Yes. I didn't communicate with, with, with people. I mean, a lot of people... Uh, uh, some other people might have, you know, made of a, made a, an effort to maybe made more contacts with people in the music industry and said, "Well, you know, I'd like to move on from this band." Never even occurred to me, you know. Never even occurred to me to do anything like that.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so were you then surprised when Nick from Precious Recordings of London? Got in touch, or how did that process then work kind of in the last few years for this these two releases to come out?
1: well, yes, it was it was a surprise, but then so was the cherry red uh, compilation that came out when when they contacted me. yes, I'm not even sure I think they contacted me through Eve uh, actually uh, the guy I moved to Manchester with and yes, you know we did uh, had a band up here called Chris Lids and uh, we had one uh, one commercial release so I think it turned up on C- C90 compilation um, a couple of years ago a song that we did called My Heart Is Where My Home Is Right um, um, You know, I th- yeah we had um, we had some interest that, that, with with the Chris lids as well, from Mock Turtles manager and stuff. We when we moved up to um, to Manchester, of course, there were we trying to write these songs that are very much verse chorus, you know. Um, and hey, Manchester happened, you know. So we were completely. It was kind of strange, really, because and funny because we were rehearsing in this, uh, rehearsal rooms in Charlton, Manchester. Um, right next door to the Stone Roses, who was big in Manchester at the time, but were unknown throughout the rest of the country at that point. So we were constantly hearing, you know, the bass that I want to be adored and what have you from the, the band in the next room. Um, and, uh, but we it was not anyway, we, we you know, again, we, we could not lack on to any of that Manchester thing. It just wasn't us at all. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but I mean, Eve went on to, uh, you know, we did a compilation a few years ago of the Chris Lids, put out those recordings and stuff, which, you know, I'm very pleased with and proud of. And they are, I think, out there on the internet for people to hear. Uh, And and Eve went on to play with some of the uh, other Mancunian bands like the Chameleons and I Am Clute, and uh, he's played with Peter Hook and stuff.
0: Yeah. As well. But, I think um, he he was, he was all, did he also have an a, a period with the Norwich Band called The Bardos? The Bardos.
1: Oh, yes, he did. He um, Of course, uh, he produced the, the Bardos, and they were a band that I very much liked and I think brought to his attention. Um, and they asked, I did do some one, one track with them where I did some backing vocals for them on one of their singles. He right. did. Eve produced the bar yes, yes. And um, he, you know, he's a, he does some music production um, as well these days. Yes. Oh, yes. But so so I... it's all a surprise, really. But you know, it's uh, thankfully it's all sounding good uh, to me. You know, still,
0: which yes. is the main thing. And has it been the case then with this release and Nick getting in touch and having it, hmm. in, you know, brought out? Has it felt quite nice to sort of reconnect with the music from that period and kind of, I don't know, process it and feel a little bit more kind of um, relaxed or a a little bit more generous towards that experience and also kind of connecting with Colin again. Does it feel like the band feels a lot nicer now than it possibly had done, you know, know, in the past?
1: Yes, um, certainly. Um, As I said, you know, Listening back to the music, um, you know, it's it's something that I'm I'm still pleased to listen to and um and not embarrassed by. And as I said, I do think and, and so I've been surprised actually like when I've heard my uh, Probably said this earlier, but I've generally been surprised when I've listened to some of those earlier recordings that I was actually a lot better, as I said, than I realised at the time. And I I, 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 there's a copy or a version of my beautiful shirt on YouTube, which is from a cassette recording, a home cassette recording. So the quality is really bad but thinking i was i listened to it quite recently and again i thought wow i've actually sang that quite well you know um (laughs) he sounds
0: like he sounds like your self-confidence sometimes lacks doesn't it um yes
1: i think so um and you know yeah self-confidence isn't my best friend but um you know it's got better as i said and um it's kind of strange because when I say I, I can listen back to those um, to those recordings, and I think, well, actually, that I am, I have to, you know, speak for myself. But I think that the, the vocals just sound very accomplished and, uh, you know, impassioned. And I do, I did good things, you know, with the words, and uh, you know, the way. Sign them and stuff, and
0: uh,
1: yes, it was a you say, and it was, a, it was very you know, it sounds heartfelt s- still. Um, so it's 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 still the essence of it is still there to be heard, and um, it, it, you know, it isn't, people will certainly connect with it, you know. Um, it, well,
0: it was no rap,
1: no raps in the middle. But no, uh, right. no. but uh, anyway, if you can live with that then um the, yeah know, there's some, there's some look, good songs out, out out there in in the in that, that I think it'll in be interesting to see repertoire. what happens
0: oh, it' will be interesting to see the kind of response after these two releases and um yeah well yeah. I mean they're, they're very professionally
1: put out, aren't they uh, With these he's done with precious um he struggles to find photographs again you know of of the band because we we weren't much of a we weren't really really a well ruled commercial entity you know um and again you know that's the irony because um perhaps in the right hands it it could have been you know yes um but i I said on the sleeve notes it's not it's not difficult to imagine those songs being in you know being on daytime radio. Some of them, not all, not all, but, but quite, uh, some of lot. them definitely could have made could have been blended into daytime radio. Particularly in those days when you know uh, you know Radio One, Radio Two would, would play a good blend of and, and the charts had a, a big uh, you know uh, array of uh, different musical styles within it. So. I think, you know, we, there was the potential there,
0: you well, know, yeah. on
1: an artistic level to to make an impact.
0: Well, I find it interesting because when you listen to things like Easter House, you mm. know, the chameleons, yourself, mm. I mean, all that. I don't feel like it's dated like some of that 80s production that was on no, the pops. No,
1: absolutely. No, you tell, we haven't got the, I think the nearest, the nearest we came to that as was Halcyon Days, with the recordings with Pascal Gabriel, where you'll hear that big drum sound um, on the original uh, Halcyon Days single, though there is another recording of Halcyon Days, uh, which is on that Constrictor label compilation. Which has got a different uh, middle, a new middle eight section to it, mm. which works far better, to be honest with you. Um, but no, it it, um, it doesn't sound. It hasn't got the eighties, uh, you know, Phil Collins sound. No, mm. um, and that's perhaps why it doesn't sound too of it of of it of that period.
0: Yes, the Trevor um, the Trevor Horn production. production. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just lastly, if you could have if you could have whispered something to your 16-, 18 year old self, starting out, is there anything that you'd have gone, oh yes, I would just say that to that person, even if you would have ignored it with all your experience and and I'd work. say that too. What what would you say to you, you? Know if you bumped into your sixteen year old self back oh. then. Is there any little word of wisdom you would have given them or direction that you might have mentioned, you know, to them? Um,
1: Well, I would have probably said it will get better, but I probably wouldn't have believed them.
0: (laughs) I know this is true, isn't it? We would just say, no, that won't get better. How can you say that? It's the 80s. Um, But it's like we muddle through, don't we? And then we change but um yes well no, it's good well look thank you ever so much john for giving me the time for this i mean it's been great to hear the interview and also hear your story and also hear much you know, a lot more of the music again i'm really yes, curious well, with the, the janice you know, long session will be fascinating to hear it would wouldn't it yeah lesser yeah um yeah. Well, i hope it's
1: you know thrown some light onto one thousand violins and oh God, yes. for those who remain interested and some who might want to develop an, an interest. Um, well,
0: you know. it's good. I did notice on the bandcamp page of one violin. Oh, he's the one. One thousand violins with the you know precious recordings. You know yeah. their, I mean, it it looks like. You Know it's selling well. I mean, oh, is it?
1: Yeah, I so. didn't even know it'd been released yet. I mean, well, I knew it was coming out, but I didn't oh, know I, the official release date.
0: No, I don't think it has been released, but I okay. guess it's orders. I oh, guess. okay, there's yeah. orders. So if you right. go to their Bandcamp page, you'll see yeah. that it says, you know, there's you know things things look good, which I'm pleased for Nick because he's just a genius, isn't he? Well, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I've seen all the releases that he's been put now, and <laughs> I wouldn't it, mind the. I was. I've been thinking of treating myself to the Bodine sessions, actually.
0: Yes. Well. The, yeah. They're a band that I
1: liked very much. So, it's and,
0: yeah, yeah. No, the the guy's got class. I mean, he's so good. Hmm. You know, so good. So I'm um, really. I was very excited actually, because um. Yeah, like some of it, it. You know, to be honest, you know, indie pop can sometimes be a bit irritating when it's like, oh yeah, that's just in. You know, that indie pop. Whereas hmm. some some of it, like I said, the Chameleons or easter house yourself you know it's something kind of like ah oh, that's a bit more the crafted album, you know it's a bit mm-hmm. a bit of a more substance it's some of it is brilliant but it's of its time you know which is quite yeah yours sure and sweet yeah. and i loved it then but you know um yes it was fun you know but um yeah some of it sounds a lot better than you know i can remember so yeah, sure yeah. And hurrah for John Peel! That's what we say. He,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look, thank you ever so much for your time. Oh, thank and you. uh, Yes, course. it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. And look, have mm-hmm. a lovely evening. And um, yeah, yes, all the best for the for the release and and the fan yeah. the fan mail. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Look, take right. care, and, and thanks again, John.
1: Much appreciated, and um, yeah, a long goodbye to everybody. And Goodbye.
0: Take care. Yes, and buy those records. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye. All right, then. All Bye-bye. the best. Bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. You probably guessed that. Anyway, a massive thank you to John Wood for giving me the time for that interview. That was um, lead singer of the 1000 Violins. And as I mentioned at the beginning and throughout the interview, the precious recordings of London have got these two John Peel sessions available downloads and uh, pre-order I do believe they're coming out um, on the 3rd of July 2023 and um, stunning that's all I've got to say anyway this C86 show I'm David E so if you want to contact me you can on Facebook Twitter Instagram just do C86 show all these interviews have been archived on Spotify iTunes Podbeam it's true check them out there's a lot of indie indie interviews anyway have a great week stay safe